Welcome back to another episode of Diferente. I want to begin by reading another listener review, and this one was written by Rox SPG. And they write, Love the subject matter and the delivery. Humble and honest. It inspires me professionally and personally and makes me feel like I'm not so diferente after all. Thank you so much for that review, Rox SPG. If you've left a review, I promise I have read it, and I thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. I won't be able to read them all out loud on the show, but I love reading your reviews. It helps me understand the impact that Diferente is having in your life, and it also inspires me to create more of what you want to hear. These reviews also help Diferente get discovered by new listeners, so please keep them coming. If you're listening on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or Stitcher, just press pause right now before you forget, and click on those five stars to write a review. On another note, I want to give a very special shout out to all the people out there who voted last week. Thank you for making your voice heard. I'm more hopeful every day that we are awakening a movement of discourse, learning, and growth every day. And the fact that you all showed up last week is proof that we are turning a very dark corner. Just know that things are only going to get tougher before they start to get better. So. Here's to writing it out together. Also, I want to thank a very special friend out there who reminded me last week that the more we grow and define ourselves publicly, the more we will encounter haters, among other setbacks in life. And let me tell you that she is so right. Ever since I started on this journey, I have gone through some serious moments of self-doubt and anxiety over being too, quote, vulnerable with my own story. Slowly, I'm learning that this is just another roadblock that I have to get past. And it might take a few tries, but I'm going to get there one day. I promise you that. And I really think that you can too. My guest this episode is me. <laughs> I was interviewed by my husband and recurring guest on Diferente, Doug Smith. If you're confused, let me explain. A few weeks ago, my husband came up with the idea of me being a guest on my own show. And of course, I thought, that's silly. Why would people want to hear me talk about myself? I've done a couple of solo episodes, but they're quick and not too personal. But a full interview? Are you kidding me? That's, that's a lot. A few minutes after we had that conversation, though, I was suddenly armed with courage and adrenaline, so we began. After we finished recording, I realized that I had previously thought exactly the same thing I've heard some of my guests tell me. How is my story relevant? When I hear someone say that, I always reply, we all live through experiences that someone out there can relate to. If you could inspire just one person out there listening, then your time sharing the story will not be wasted. Bienvenidos. Welcome to Diferente. My name is Maribel Quesada-Smith. I'm an expert at questioning everything who wants to bring more color into your life. I'll be coming to you every week with a little humor and a mountain of passion to share with you experiences and lessons in life, culture, creativity, and business that will inspire all of us to explore different perspectives. 
Don't be surprised if you find yourself motivated to shake things up. That's known to be a side effect of the Diferente life, and it's contagious. Now let's get to it. You are with me right now, Doug Smith, in for Maribel Quesada, but I actually have a very, very special guest today. Super excited to have not only the love of my life, but the creator of Diferente, Miss Maribel Quesada, as a guest today on this episode <laughs> of Diferente. I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a great introduction. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you very much so for, for taking those, over my show. Exactly. I, I had to take over. I apologize for being a bit uh, boisterous, but today is my day. You are the guest on your show. How does it feel to be sitting in the other seat for a change? Well, I'm actually sitting in the exact same seat. I just traded microphones with you. <laughs> it feels a little weird, but Metaphorically honestly... Metaphorically speaking. Honestly, I feel more relaxed. <laughs> what do you mean more relaxed? Is, are you not usually relaxed when you record your show? I'm usually relaxed, but also a little bit nervous because I know that I have to keep, you know, a certain amount of pacing and I have to make sure that we get through all the questions. And then I also want to make sure that we get into the nitty gritty of the conversation. So like, there is a lot of pressure. I'll give you a break for one episode. So as you already know, Doug Smith in for Maribel Quesada with Maribel Quesada as my guest today on Diferente. You know, something that I feel like a lot of people want to know, Maribel, is this podcast kind of came out of nowhere. So can you give everybody who didn't listen to the first episode a little bit of, of what went into you making this jump into sharing a bit of yourself with your guests uh, alongside of you in, in this endeavor? Well, first of all, I have to correct you, sir, because you keep forgetting my other last name, Smith. <laughs> oh, my bad. Maribel Quesada, Smith. So what inspired me to create Diferente? Is that, was that the question? I'm sorry, that I, is, I forgot. What, what what, what, how did you get to the point where you were kind of all in on something you'd never done before in the podcast of Diferente? Oh my gosh. So I'm I'm kind of a big writer and I had a blog and for several years I was just writing and blogging. What was your blog about? Well, I had two blogs actually. My first one was about food and I had a lot of recipes on there because I also love to cook. And then my second blog was called Not the Cool Girl and it was mainly about relationships and dating, my journey through that. So, you know, after going through my dating journey and relationships and then married, I kind of felt like I was just I don't know. I needed something fresh. I wanted to start new and do something bigger, something more bold and just out of my comfort zone. And I decided that a podcast might be a really good idea and a good way to kind of be able to dig deeper into stories. I'm a storyteller by heart and by trade, I would say, because I'm a producer. And so I love telling stories. I love fiction and nonfiction, but I specifically find people very intriguing. And that's why I thought, you know what? I think a podcast would be the best way to bring out stories that are in people, stories that maybe some people have already heard of and maybe stories that nobody has heard of and just kind of dig deeper. Because I feel like in the blog world, there's only so much you can write. You can't really hear the person's voice. You can't really understand or empathize with them as well because it's a little bit harder to really be able to figure out what tone they're speaking in. Yeah. And so, and also people just, honestly, they don't read as much. So I just felt like, you know, the content that I wanted to put out there, the served literally a voice or voices behind it. And so that's why I wanted to do the podcast. So I want to talk about 
you know, in your first season, in your first go, you've had some really solid guests on your show from professional athletes to, to sports broadcasters. What have you gathered from all of your guests that kind of make you excited to continue to do Diferente? Oh my gosh, so much information, so many life lessons. I think that the biggest thing that I've learned throughout this first season so far is that everyone has a story. And that to me is so valuable. No matter how big the name or how well-known or maybe lesser known these people are, I just, I've learned something from all of them. And I hope that everyone who has listened has also learned something from each of their stories. And I think, I think they have. I mean, I think most people have told me that they found every story interesting. So I don't know. The biggest takeaways for me are that everyone has a story and that the best way that we can understand each other and really learn to grow as individuals, but also striving to build stronger communities is by having discussions and being able to have discourse with one another, but also come to understandings. I feel like we spend a lot of time disagreeing with each other on the internet. The other reason why I wanted Absolutely. to create Diferente is because I wanted things to be different. I wanted to do something different that was not just the status quo. And I just didn't want to preach to the choir anymore. You know, on Facebook or in my friend circles, everyone tends to agree with each other. Well, I wanted to learn from other people and learn from different perspectives. And that's that's why it's called Diferentes. So that's the other thing. I just, I hope that so far we've been able to bring you stories and new ideas and things that maybe you had not thought about before or our listeners had not thought about before and now are considering trying new things and opening up their perspective to new alternatives. I want to go back just a touch to talk about this not the cool girl. That was more than a, than a persona for you. That was more of a period of time, if I'm correct, right? What is Not the Cool Girl? The idea for Not the Cool Girl came from me reading the book Gone Girl. I don't know if any... You, I know you haven't read it, though. I haven't read it. I, I'm still <laughs> trying to get through, like, the three books that I have on tape. You're so. not much of a nonfiction reader, I know. No, nah, and I would keep it all the way 100. Yeah, but, but no, I, I want to know more about this. I love... So cool I, Girl. So I love murder mystery, and I... And thrillers. I read Gone Girl several years ago, and there was a specific point in the book where the writer refers to a specific persona in women as the cool girl, you know, kind of like this chick that just will do anything, whatever the guy or the other person thinks is cool or thinks is um, important, even if she hates it, she'll do it because she wants to be the cool girl. She wants to be referred to as man, that girl is cool. And so... Why did that resonate with you? It resonated with me because, first of all, I think you probably remember this, but growing up, I, I, I remember hearing guys say that all the time. Like, oh, no, no, this girl's really cool. Like, no, she's like cool. You know, she's not crazy. She's not weird. She's, she's cool. You know, she hangs with the dudes. She can keep up in conversation. She, she's athletic, whatever. You know, whatever the guys would associate with the word cool, they would use to refer to certain kinds of women. And so it was almost like this thing to strive for when I was growing up. So to be the cool girl. To be the cool girl. Yes, absolutely. You did not want to be not the cool girl. <laughs> so I, when I was reading this book, that paragraph really resonated with me because I was like, oh, I've done that. I've been the cool girl. And I don't want to do that anymore. So I started, you know, shortly not too long after I read that book, I started the blog called Not the Cool Girl. And I 
it was basically me saying like, I am not doing things because people say I should or acting a certain way because people think I should. I'm going to do things that I want to do because I want to do them. I'm going to act the way I want to act. I'm going to say what's on my mind and I'm going to date a lot. <laughs> uh, wow. And I'm not okay. going to care what people this, think this about that. Real. <laughs> so l- let me let me go here. What is your advice to the cool girl after not being the cool girl for so long? Don't be the cool girl. <laughs> no, I mean, like, honestly, I feel that if you are someone who really genuinely loves doing things that people refer to as cool, then do them. My advice is just be who you really are. Like, be honest about the things that you actually want to do in life, the things that you love doing, the things that you hate, and do that. Like, be you. I know that sounds super, like, cliche and whatever, but that's my advice is just don't pretend to be someone you're not just so that people will love you. Oh, I love that. I think a lot of people get lost in trying to to impress and, and be whoever they need to be that they lose themselves or have never found themselves in the first place. So I think that's 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 great advice. So you, you mentioned another blog that you had. You had two. You had Not the Cool Girl and a, and a food blog. So we'll talk about the food blog and talk about how you kind of managed your your life in a way to to give to both of these ventures. Okay, so first of all, I think we've established in the first two episodes that I do too much. So most people already know this about me, but I didn't quite run both blogs at the same time because of that, because I can't, that would be impossible. So I started with the food blog. It was called Azúcar and Spice. And I loved it because I just, first of all, I love cooking and I wanted to write. So I thought, oh, I'll just marry two things together. But Honestly, food blogs are a lot of work because you have to take pictures and you have to do the recipes and it's just a lot. So I did it for a while and it was fun. You didn't have a food stylist. And I'm not a food stylist. Absolutely. So it was a good learning curve. But then I, you know, then I did Not the Cool Girl, which was awesome. And now we're doing the podcast. So let's just kind of switch up a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about your upbringing, you know, bringing from Mexico City, moving at 13, having to learn the language, coming into the States in Columbus, Ohio. How was that experience uh, when you kind of look back on it? Well, we moved when I was 12, actually, but... I, I was lied to. <laughs> These numbers are false. I didn't lie to you. you my fact, where's my fact checker? <laughs> you got to pay attention. 12. You got to pay attention. I thought I was 13. <laughs> All right. All right, here we go. Oh, all the married women in the world are li- listening right now. Understand These me. are semantics. Ladies and gentlemen of Diferente, do you hear what I have to deal with on a daily basis? The question is, being from Mexico City, moving, being transplanted from your homeland into Columbus, Ohio, or even smaller, in Groveport, Ohio, what was the transition like for you as it relates to not only learning a new language, but learning a new culture? Um, well, it was a really difficult transition, but it was also kind of exciting. I do remember the first... The first year was probably the toughest because we moved into this like two bedroom, one loft apartment and we had nothing because we, my mom sold all of our furniture, all of our stuff back home. We only came with what the airline allowed you to to bring back in the day, which were two pieces of luggage. So I decided that I would pack in one suitcase my clothes and shoes and in another suitcase all of my dolls. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that made dolls. Wow. 
Yes. So it was hard. I was in the cusp of being a teenager. I wanted to fit in. So I didn't really know who I was. I had a little bit of an identity crisis for a while. And it was, I think we all went through a little bit of depression at the beginning. We all were just trying to figure out what the heck was going on, why the limes were so freaking expensive. We, like, we could never buy limes. It was, it was a commodity for us. And so it was a struggle. I you mean, we just go pick them off the tree. We went from in Mexico, you can't, but we went from being, I would say, a, a, in a good position financially in Mexico, honestly. I mean, had a nice house, went to private school, had, had everything we needed. And then, you know, going, going, coming to the States and going to a single income household, because at that point, my dad was the only one working. It was just really difficult. So I don't know. I mean, you're taking me back to a bit of a tough time. It was, it was hard. I, I have a lot of stories from those days that might make you cry. But when, you, when, you, when we talk about that and you talk about this assimilation, I guess, what do you remember in regards to, there's no, re, you know, having visited your family and, and being in Mexico for a bit, what, were we there for what, six weeks, three weeks? Five, we were there six, for five weeks. Five weeks. You know, one thing as a, as a black man that I really enjoyed about being in Mexico was this lack of race. I really enjoyed just being the American guy. You know, when I went to the club and, and in the town, I wasn't the black guy. I was the American. Under those same... El gringo. <laughs> El gringo, for sure. Under those same pretenses, what did you learn about, like, how did race come into your, I guess, your life or your day-to-day? And kind of talk a little bit about what that's been like as you grew up in the States, coming from a place where... Race didn't exist. It's a little bit different in Mexico. I wouldn't say it's so much specifically race, but there's definitely a lot of colorism and there is a lot of prejudice in the class, you know, system. But in Mexico, the only reason I knew about racism, that word, and about what African-Americans had dealt with was through learning in school what we learned in history class because I went to a bilingual school. So we had to learn American history. And so I learned about it, but I didn't really know about it. I didn't live it. So coming to the States, I just felt like I was like everybody else. I mean, I, I know I look different, but I, I didn't feel different. I didn't have that. And I don't know if this is the right word to, to use, but I didn't have that chip on my shoulder. To me, I think that served me very well growing up in the States because I, I've never felt uncomfortable being in a room full of white people. I've never felt uncomfortable being in a room f- full of black people or Hispanic, you whatever, uh, you know, so, <laughs> no, but I'm saying like, I grew up being the only Mexican girl most of the time. And that never made me feel uncomfortable. What made me feel uncomfortable was the way people reacted to me later on. Later on, you know, in high school, that's when I started to experience some hatred. And that's when I started to experience. How so for people that may be listening that may have experienced something similar? It, here's the thing. When I started experiencing the hatred, I think looking back on it now, I realized that it was jealousy. It wasn't so much racism. So people would write, you know, at several times they would write on my car with, thankfully, that the marker that you could, you know, clean up. But they would write, Spick, go back to Mexico. I had a girl, you know, write some stuff on the internet about me singing the national anthem. Because I, I sang the national anthem during the girls' basketball games. And that was like a really big, proud moment for me. But because I was from Mexico, there was someone saying that I shouldn't be singing the national anthem because I was from Mexico. I think that was a little bit, you know, probably of racism mixed with jealousy, maybe. I don't know. But those were some of the examples that I I dealt with. And you know what the biggest irony is? 
because my family didn't experience that very often, because my parents didn't really understand racism that way, because they didn't grow up here. My brother and sister didn't really grow up here as much as I did. I mean, my sister was in high school. My brother was in college when we moved. I think that nobody really understood what I was going through. And so when things like that would happen, my parents, one time my car got egged and, you know, they wrote that big stuff on the car and we had to call the cops. And the cops came and were like, well, this is considered a hate crime, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, things were a little light, lighter back then. So it wasn't that big of a deal. And my parents looked at me and they said, what did you do? <laughs> my mom actually was like, well, what did you do to make people this mad? And that hurt me to the core. And I had this conversation with my mother the other day, actually, like two or three months ago. I was like, you have no idea what that meant to me when you said those words, because you weren't living my reality. And you didn't understand what the kids were saying about me. And you... But could she have? Could she have understood? No, she couldn't you have. Know, being a bit older now, looking back at that scenario or that instance, like, could she have really known or understood where you were, you know, at that time in your life? No, she couldn't have. I think that her reaction was semi just parental, you know, whatever. Like, I don't, I'm not mad at her for it. I was just saying she didn't understand and her words were hurtful to me. And I think that also I was kind of trying to dig into that too. I was like, well, what am I doing? I will say this. I wasn't an angel. I wasn't a bully or anything, but, you know, I could be, you know, a little petty at times or instigating, you know, as like a lot of people do in high school. I could do stuff like that. I'm sure I did, which probably caused some of the issues. But in the general sense, me singing the national anthem was not a reason to hate me. I agree with you. Let me ask you something as well. So along the lines of fitting in, you know, we've had conversations where you are a curly headed Mexican woman in an attempt to fit in with the uh, more American culture used to get your hair relaxed. Talk a little bit about kind of some of those those things you did to, to quote, fit in and, and what you learned in that effort to fit in about yourself. I think it was my seventh grade year when I discovered relaxers. I don't know how. I think we maybe went to Sally's. Shout out to all the hairdressers out there. Bronner <laughs> Brothers, what's happening? I think we went to Sally's Beauty Supply. Dudley, what's up? And I saw the boxes and I was like, wait. You can make hair straight. This is magical. I have got to have this. So I begged my mom and begged my mom and begged my mom. And she was like, no, no, no. And then like probably sometime after I turned 13, she finally was like, okay, fine. We can try it. And she let me buy the Just For Me kit. Just For Me. <laughs> and it was the gentle one, right? So we did hair it. got bone straight. <laughs> no, no. So, you know, we did it. And my hair, it was not cute. It was just kind of like this wavy. It, it got wavy, wavy instead wavy, of like curly. Yeah, it just had like the wavy look, but it was flat. I was the only girl with curly hair and wearing it curly. Back then, the girls, I mean, honestly, even the girls that had curly hair, most of them would straighten their hair. So I was the only one who didn't do that. And so ever since then, I started relaxing my hair. I would straighten it. And when I would wear it curly, I just like figure out a way so that it wasn't very obvious that it was curly. Plus, I have a scar on my neck, so I would always wear my hair down. I hated wearing my hair up. I didn't actually start wearing my hair up until I went to college. And I'd stop relaxing my hair after I went to college. Uh, I think it was freshman year. I, I decided to stop relaxing my hair. I was like, this is ridiculous. I'm not doing this anymore. But it took a long time. You know, it's interesting that you, you brought it up, but I'll, we'll go ahead and kind of explore this a bit more. You have a scar on your neck. How did you get this scar? 
and a little bit of what did the scar do for your confidence as it went through the healing process? Oh my God, are you my shrink? I don't know. I'm just letting. <laughs> we're trying to get people to understand the the real you. So I'm. I'm. You brought it up. I'm just. I'm just asking questions. Okay. So the scar. Well, it's a long story. I'll tell you the short version. Short version. Thank you. We were in Mexico. I was still. Li- we were still living in Mexico. I think I was ten. And we were celebrating the Christmas season, which in Mexico, we have these big parties on the street called posadas. And my cousins were playing with fireworks and firecrackers. We were standing outside. I was wearing, I'll never forget this. I was wearing my brand new rollerblades that I loved. And we we're just out there having fun. And one of my cousins, who shall remain nameless. <laughs> you know who you are. Sent me. He just threw one at me, but he threw, luckily, he threw what we used to call cebollitas, which are like little onions. They look like little onions. So you light them up and all they do is spin around and sparkle. They spark. So they don't blow up or pop. And it just landed. It happened to land on the edge of my neck, on my shirt. And so, you know, it burned me and it left a scar. It was not pleasant. But it left a a literal scar and a bit of a, an emotional scar. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, I talk mean, about, I would say so. Talk about growing up with a scar and how you were able to kind of free yourself or liberate yourself from this, quote, imperfection. You know what the funniest thing is? I didn't have much of an issue with it. In fact, my mom would yell at me because I wouldn't wear my patch. I had the silicone patch that the plastic surgeon had me wear for a long time that was supposed to flatten the skin. And it did work. But it probably could have been better had I been more diligent about wearing it. My mom would yell at me and say, you're going to regret this when you're older. You're going to regret this when you're older. Whatever. So as a kid, I was like, whatever. I don't want to wear the patch. It's itchy. Then I became a teenager and it was, oh, my God, I can't wait to figure out how to get rid of the scar. I need to wear my hair down. The emotional struggle was feeling a lack of confidence because I had a scar. And so I just didn't feel like I could wear my hair up. And there were times in my life. This is so embarrassing. Into your adulthood, though. Into my adulthood, there were times in my life, not adult, adult, but, you know, in like 18, 19 years of age, when I genuinely thought, I'm never going to get married because of the scar. Well, I debunk that because I I think it's cool. Like, I think it's like super gangster. You got this like scar on your neck. I'm like, damn, let me just not mess with her because she might mess me up. Because it's, it's a legit scar. But can we just go back to the fact that it's so ridiculous that I thought I would never get married? First of all, that that was in my mind. I married. It's like a complex that came from somewhere. No, but well. Like it, it wasn't like it was, that was planted. We so. could have a super deep conversation about those cultural issues another day. But what I'm telling you will. is that I was so worried. Mental. It just takes you back to where I was mentally back in my younger years. All I could think about was finding that guy. I wanted to find that guy. And so I just felt like the scar was one of those things that was limiting me. So it's funny, you you enter into a, a new kind of era in the Maribel Quesada Smith saga. You have this thought about the scar and not being married. Clearly you were either boy crazy or very, very conscious of what you wanted to do to get married. So in a, I'm going a completely different direction with this, but... You decide to go on 30 dates and 30 nights via Tinder. So you swiped right a bunch of times with some some lame-ass dudes, man. I'm just going to be, I'm just saying like that. They weren't all lame. Let's talk a little bit about this 30 dates and 30 days. How the hell do you do that? Like, that sounds exhausting. It was exhausting. And super free. 
for an attractive woman. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm a little pissed off about it, guys. Like, hey, be careful, guys. There's girls out here that's trying to get these dates and get free meals out here in these no, streets. No, no. Be careful, cuz. I was not out there just trying to get free meals, first streets. of all. You gotta be in them I'm streets. Gonna, I, I'm gonna put it out there. That was not my goal. What was your goal? My goal was just to learn how to date. I wanted in 30 days. Yeah. It's like a crash course. Yeah, I like to do you know me, and there are people out there who know me and are listening. People understand there's one thing about me that you have to understand. I like to set goals, and I'm very much about measuring those goals. So for me, when I was struggling with dating and I was trying to figure out what to do next, and there's a lot going on, you know, I hit 30, I was just confused. I just wanted to do something drastic. I wanted to shake things up. Sometimes I like to do that. And my idea of shaking things up was, let me do 30 dates in 30 days. Let me see if I can do this. One, set the goal. Can I do this? Two, what can I learn from this? And three, what is my family going to think? And four, who the hell cares what my family thinks? <laughs> so I did it. And it was an accelerating experience. I blogged about it. And soon there will be a book. That will have some of this well, because, on there. Because I'm me, I've got, I've got all kinds of questions. But let me ask you this. 30 dates, 30 nights. What was your laundry situation? I'm sorry. It's like, that's a lot of outfits. It's a lot of draws. You're like, that's what I'm looking at. Like, you had to do, like, hella laundry yeah. to be, like, super fly for 30. Then you had to do makeup. Like, yeah. you had to buy, like, new makeup, new hair no, conditioner. I didn't like, buy you, new makeup. So you weren't even, like, even doing getting done up. You were just kind of out, out in the streets. No, you know, I'd do my makeup, and I definitely was looking. I would try to look nice and everything. Depending on where I was going in the situation, I would dress accordingly. But I did run out. I mean, there was a point where I had to stop and try and do laundry because I did start running out of clothes. But it was it was and that's enough. what I think about the amount of draws that my well, wife look, had. While she I was, was smart about it. So sometimes I wouldn't have a date a whole day, but I would pile up three dates in one day. So then I would have time to do laundry one, that one day that I didn't have any dates. Wow. <laughs> I had a triple heather one day. It was awesome. I had the breakfast date, the afternoon the coffee date. Huh? date. That, that's 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 a savvy guy there, though. The breakfast date, that's... Why? Uh, no, because, you know, that, that takes some strategy. Well, I feel like it's it was fine. That's I mean, some strategy. It's like, I really want to know you if I'm going to get up pre-10 o'clock. I, I don't think it was pre-10 o'clock. I think it was more like a 10.30 kind of oh, date. you had a brunchy, lunchy... Yeah, kind of. So then you had a... a, a but happy, it was definitely like a So you a had breakfast. a happy hour. You had a, a brunch, a happy hour, and a, and, no. a, and a dinner. No, I had a brunch, a coffee date, and drinks. Coffee date, that's not a date. That doesn't count. You only had 29 yes, it dates. You is. had 29 no, dates. No, no, coffee. no, no, no. It definitely didn't counts. Even go. Where'd you go? Starbucks? We actually went to Pistacha Vera. There and we then go. he took me, he took me on a ride in his motorcycle. <laughs> Did you have a helmet? Yes. Okay, so he, he thought enough ahead to have a yeah, helmet Yeah, he you. was super nice. There but we, we both agreed at the end of that date. Like, nah, I don't think this is a good fit. Yeah, because you like seatbelts. Yeah, safety <laughs> first, people. <laughs> so, okay, so... What did you learn about you looking back now, having it been, you know, a couple of years ago? What do you learn about yourself in a situation like that? A forced, awkward, uncomfortable it situation? It was awkward. It wasn't awkward, but it was, it was definitely out of my comfort zone. So I learned several things. But I think one of the biggest lessons for me was that dating multiple people at once is perfectly natural and okay and acceptable, no matter what society tells you. Because I think I grew up thinking that I had to date one guy at a time only, or people would think I was, oh, 
So I oh you just you know that was a big awakening moment for me. It's like whatever. I don't care what anybody thinks. This is a great learning experience. Also. To be open-minded. It taught me to be more open-minded to different types of people, not just like a certain type of guy. You know, there was a, for a long period of time, I had this type of man in my mind that I wanted to date. And I don't know, I feel like that's very limiting. And then you can miss out on some really awesome people when you're trying to hold yourself back to that type. And I understand. So in our travels of the world, we came across the Atisa. Do you think that what that's uh, a hell of a transition though no no let me let me <laughs> i'm flowing here ladies and gentlemen who are living listening to this episode this is completely freestyled and i'm gonna enjoy Marty bell doing these show notes because it, this is how my mind works but i want to touch on something that i think is interesting and potentially parallels to your 30 dates and 30 nights so we met at tisa above the trevi fountain at a hotel bar she was on bar. diferente people know uh, who she is exactly she was on the show but to revisit Atisa's story and episode, Atisa was doing a 35 for 35, you know, 35 day vacation celebrating her or commemorating her 35th birthday. On her own, yeah. On, yeah, on her own, traveling through pretty much every city in, you can go to in Italy. Did you feel some sort of connection to Atisa via your 30 dates and 30 nights? Versus her 35 for 35. Oh, I immediately felt a connection with Atisa. But I don't necessarily think it was because of my 30 dates and 30 nights. I think it was her boldness and her ability to do what she wanted to do. I love that about people. Like, that is the quality that is magnetic to me. When I meet someone and they're telling me a story about how they're doing what they love or they're taking a big risk or they're taking a big chance and their leap of faith. Love those stories. And so I'm immediately drawn to people like that. It says something to being open, right? These stories. Hey, you. Yeah, I'm talking to you. What are you doing with this podcast? Are you sharing it with your friends? Because one of the best ways to let somebody know that you care about them is by sharing thought-inspiring content with them. Like this podcast, where we share stories and experiences that expose us to different perspectives. Here are three easy ways to share the show. You can take a screenshot of this episode and post it on social media, text it directly to anyone in your contact list, or you can also send them the link to our website, diferentepodcast.com. Voila! Super simple. If you like Diferente, the best way to support us is by sharing it, sharing it, and sharing it some more. Now let's get on with the show. We're coming up on November. We all... In America, hold November sacred as it is our time to vote in new officials to lead our country in the direction that the majority sees fit in some cases. You're so political correct. I, I build that up <laughs> only because as a Mexican, soon to be a Mexican-American woman, you have a keen interest, almost a passion in women's suffrage and voting for those people. Like, why? I didn't know women was suffering. What? <laughs> they suffering? Why? No, women's suffrage. No, is women not, voting I or have, people voting yeah, as a whole suffrage voting as, as a, a whole. whole so, so let me ask you something and and I want you to speak on behalf of green card holding Americans damn I just put all my business out we're in the streets we're gonna be out here in the streets how frustrating is it to have a voice but have it also stifled I'm not able to participate because I'm not a citizen yet, and only citizens are allowed to vote. 
I'm not. But mad. you pay the taxes. Yes. So I'm not necessarily. You mad own property. About it. I own property. I pay taxes. And yes. you can't vote. I do everything that an American citizen does. Except uh, vote. Except for be hateful and vote. <laughs> be hateful. <laughs> I'm kidding. Most American citizens are not hateful. <laughs> Please don't take this out of context. But you want to vote. Am I right? Am uh, yes. I, like, like, you want to. Like, you want to be in, you want to stand in the line and, and cast your ballot. 100% And there's I so vote. many people that can't. That has to be one of the, the most frustrating things as an involved citizen. Yeah. Right? It that is has to be one of the most frustrating things you can be a part of. Like, how does that make you honestly feel? First of all, not only can I not vote, but I think the hardest part for me is that I can't vote, but I'm always super involved or I try to be. So like in the last presidential election, I was knocking on doors. I was canvassing. I was calling people. I was involved. And of course, having debates, whatever. And doing all of that and knowing that my voice still doesn't technically count feels hurtful. And it's it's difficult to swallow. So how does it feel? It feels frustrating. More than anything, because I've always felt like I was American just as much as I, as I am Mexican. And this country continues to spit at my face sometimes. I feel like me and my people are just not wanted. And so it feels But in this harsh. scenario, but in this instance, your people are, are people from all over the world, not just, you know, Mexicans. I mean, you, you had on your show- My fellow immigrants. Mr. Box, right? He also is a green card in Can holding Canadian who, who answers to the same fate. I don't think everybody feels as attached to this as so, I do. Okay, so talk about it. Why is voting and the ability to exercise your, I'm going to play devil's advocate, but your one vote, one person, one vote, why does that weigh so heavy with you as it relates to people should be out voting, people should be involved? That's one of the things that drives me crazy. When people don't vote or they take to social media and they're like, I'm not voting because blah, blah, blah. That infuriates me. Honestly, I'm getting better because I'm trying to be more open-minded. But I used to get really angry when people, when I would ask people questions about who their governor was or who their mayor was, and they wouldn't know the answers to these questions. I would be very judgmental about it because I just feel like you really need to know your representatives. And if you don't know them, why don't you know them? Because that means you're not interested, you're not involved, you're apathetic. Why are you apathetic? I mean, these are issues that are affecting your community directly. People will tell me all day, it doesn't matter if I vote or not. Doesn't, nothing changes. No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Things do change. And we're seeing it right now. We're living it right now. People are suffering because of the decisions that a lot of selfish people made two years ago. And so, yes, it infuriates me and it makes me mad when people don't exercise their right to vote because I don't have that right and I want that right. And I will get it one day. But it's frustrating to see other people throw it away. So recently, we, we just sworn in a new justice to our Supreme Court. Given the ambiguity of his background, do you feel let down by his appointment? Or do you feel that we got the right guy? <laughs> this is a trick question. No, I don't feel like he's the right guy. And yes, I believe Dr. Ford. But I'm trying to understand what the other side thinks and how they feel. So it was a, what, 48-50 vote in the Senate? Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to very, say I mean, is... It's a very close vote. Basically, I'm trying to understand that there are a lot of people in this country who do feel like he was the right choice. And I'm more so interested in finding out why 
They think that he was the right choice. And I'm more interested in figuring out how we can move forward from here. I don't really want to dwell on this situation anymore. I really hope that this is a lesson to everybody out there who's ever gone through something or has a story to share, who's been a victim of something and feels that they can't tell anybody. I hope that this at least allows them to understand that they should share it and that they should tell somebody because unfortunately, things like this happen all the time. We keep our mouths shut or we don't want to say anything for a lot of reasons. And, I, and that's a personal reason. I understand it. But then these men end up being in position of, of power and nobody cares, nobody says anything, right? So I just hope that this makes people feel like they should speak out. And I hope it makes us more conscious about those kinds of situations. I don't know. I mean, that's a tough thing to talk about in just a few minutes. I'm going to shift gears here, but I'm going to keep the enthusiasm. So Mari Bell, for those people that are listening to the show that have shared it and have shared it with people, shared it on their social media pages. Can you talk a little bit about what goes in to making and producing an episode of Diferente? A lot of work, <laughs> a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. So we have a show every week. Everybody knows this. And that means I'm constantly in production. So I try to be ahead of the game constantly, making sure we have at least three episodes in the can before they air. And that means that I'm doing interviews at least once a week. I'm interviewing guests. I'm writing episodes. I'm getting stuff to the editor. I'm usually interviewing, writing an episode. And this, this, is, this would be a separate episode. And I'm prepping all the social media content with our production assistant every week. So there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes, obviously, that people don't see. But the overall time that it takes to produce an episode of Diferente is basically an average of like 10 hours. How would you define success for the podcast Diferente? If we can make a difference in anyone's life, whether it's because they can relate to a story and it brings them joy or it brings them understanding, or maybe it's because it inspires them to take action and be brave and bold, I think that's success for the show. I want to play a quick little game with you. If you're up, for it, before we wrap up this episode, are you are you up for it? See, I'm gonna ask you A or B, and you give me your response. Ready? Oh, okay. So, birthday cake or wedding cake? Oh, wedding cake. Lime or lemon? Lime. Tesla or Range Rover? Tesla. Merengue or bachata? Bachata. Dotson or Yorkie? Our dog is both. I know you got to pick Dotson. Are you sure? Yes. <laughs> Lulu or Nike? Lulu. All day. Beach house or lake house? Beach house. Mm. Selena or Sábado Gigante? <laughs> Could you be any more stereotypical? <laughs> Selena, 100%. Ooh, tough question. Lauren Hill or Adele? Ah, oh, old. Miseducation Lauren Hill, for sure. Okay, last one. You ready? Yes. Fourth of July or Cinco de Mayo? hate you. <laughs> I had to. I had to. Come on. Fourth of July. Yes, he says the September and F you for asking me that ignorant question. And there you have it. Maribel Quesada Smith of Diferente. Thank you so much, Maribel, for letting me have the driver's seat today. I know how tough it is for you to give up control, but thank you all for listening. If you love this episode, like it, download it, share it on all social media platforms. 
You can find me. I'm Douglas Fresh 8. And you can find her. She is... A Diferente Life. Or... Diferente underscore podcast. And we out of here, baby. Holla! I hope you enjoyed learning a little bit more about my story. And if you didn't, well, like we say in Mexico, ya ni modo. We are taking a break for Thanksgiving. So there won't be a new episode next week, but we'll be back with fresh new content on Wednesday, November 28th. In the meantime, feel free to listen to any of our past episodes if you haven't yet, like episode 124, Success is Growth, How to Trust and Define Yourself with Cheyenne Woods. Or you can learn how not to let fear hold you back in episode 109 with licensed clinical therapist Adriana Alejandre. Also, if you want to feel a little bit more confident and get out of your comfort zone, check out episode 107 with Atisa Vasanji, How to Get Out of Your Comfort Zone. This episode was produced with a mountain of passion. Our editor is Mauricio Mosso. The original music for Diferente is produced by Keegan Stromberg. The track you heard earlier is by Keala Settle. This is me from The Greatest Showman. Thank you to my husband, Doug Smith, for hosting. I'm Maribel Quesada-Smith. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. I am thankful for the opportunity to share my journey with you. Feliz Día de Acción de Gracias. Thank you for listening to Diferente. If you liked this episode, let me know by leaving a five-star review and by sharing a screenshot of this podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Just don't forget to tag me at Adiferente Life so I can know you're listening. Hasta pronto.